God's holy and inerrant word. This Jesus who is reigning is sending this word from heaven to this people today. And Spirit is going to give it to us out of love. Listen to God's word for us. Acts 6 verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May verse 7 be true for us this morning and for the rest of our lives. You may be seated. Now, to start off, what I want you to see is is very simply how this passage divides into two sections. The first section is a problem, and then the the second section has the the, the solution is being experienced. Look in verse 1. Look in verse 1. We have discord with the church. And then the second half of the passage we see that this problem has been solved because in verse 5, we have harmony. Discord turns into harmony. And now, those who had a complaint in the first half, we read there's a very different second half where in verse 5 and, and following, we see the whole church is pleased. The sermon is about how we move from discord to harmony. And, and, and it's about the part that we play in ministry and the importance of ministry. And so here is the sermon in a sentence. When the church is whole, the Word increases. The opposite in, uh, uh, implication is also true. The word will not increase if the church is not whole, one, united. So point number one is discord. Point number one is discord. Look in verses one through four. And what I want us to, to see is two wrongs and two rights. In verses one through four, we have 
two wrongs and two rights. Wrong number one is neglect of widows in the church, of verse one. Neglect of widows. The people of God who read the Word of God have an understanding of the priorities and heart of God. God has special care for certain types of people. And that includes women whose husbands, whose protectors and providers have passed away. God especially cares for widows. If you remember back in chapter 4 and and verse 35, when all the believers were coming together and they were selling their belongings, and remember they, they laid the proceeds at the feet of the apostles, and the apostles were making sure that what was given would not be uh, would be given to all who are in need so that no one was in need well in verse 1 of our chapter 6 whenever those provisions are being doled out each day at mealtime whenever the food is being passed out to people the greek or hellenist widows these are not jews by birth the those widows are being neglected. And passages like this uh, remind us that we are reading about an ancient civilization. Because today, if a church member is neglected, Well, the complaint doesn't need to arise because there are churches down the street that they can just go to. I mean, how else will the first Hellenist church of Jerusalem get its start? If not, from chapter 6, verse 1. And wow, when they start that church, what a good idea because then we can have the first Hebrew church of Jerusalem. No, this is an ancient civilization. This is unlike the way that many Christians are handling the feeling of being neglected in the church. And beloved, I want you to see that when we are neglected in the church, when there are rivalries in the people who are saved, those rivalries say something about the head of the church, Christ. What I want us to see from our passage this morning is what we do when we feel neglected in the people who are saved in the church. What we do when we feel neglected will say something about the head of the church, Christ. I want you to think back to Ephesians chapter 2, two chapters before we started reading in Ephesians chapter 4, when Hebrew and Hellenist were hating one another, and when everyone, Jew and Gentile, were hated, not just by one another, but by God, as God's Word says, His wrath 
for their hatred of him, his wrath was set upon all of mankind. And then God responded to the neglect that he saw between one group of people and another group of people. And God, though they had neglected him, responded to their neglect of him. And what did he do? In order to kill the disharmony, which Ephesians uses the word hostility, in order to kill the hostility between God and man and between man and man, Jesus, the Son of God, was killed on the cross. God directed His anger not to us, but to His Son. And Jesus bore the sins of our neglect of God, but also our sorrows of being sinned against by other people. Jesus was on the cross, the righteous man that God was punishing for the unrighteous people. And Jesus was the holy God who was paying the cost for the sins that his own people committed against him. And what I want us to see is that when we feel neglected in the church, what we do in response to that will say something to the people who are outside the people of Christ about Christ. And so to understand what we should do with the discord in Acts chapter 6, we have to start with what did God do with the discord in His world and the neglect of Himself by the people of this world? He killed His own Son. His Son willingly was killed to take our punishment away from us and to make us love God and not neglect Him. And to make that love then spread to one another. Jesus has made the church whole. One. Not Hellenists and Hebrews, but all one. Complete. Without any discord between us and God or us and one another. Did you hear when our sister read Ephesians 4 in those three verses? We heard seven times the word one. One body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I think this is intentional that it's not six or eight. Because God spent seven days creating what was perfect, what was complete. So that what Paul is saying is by the blood of Christ, people who were separate from God and separate from one another are perfectly made one. It is the blood of Christ. It is the name of Christ. It is the work of His salvation that is what is being under threat whenever there is disunity 
in the church. We are one with God. And we are called by the blood of Christ to be one with one another. There should be no reason that we have to separate from one another, to, to be at enmity or hostility with one another anymore. And when we feel tempted to be hostile toward one another or to neglect one another, we have an example of what we should do. And that is to do what it takes to pay the cost to forgive them. Because God in Christ has forgiven us. If you do not know this forgiveness, you can know this forgiveness. The reality that God sees in you if you are outside of Christ is that you are an enemy. And the good news is that God dies for enemies. And God offers to make enemies His own children. Turn from your sin. Why would you want any other God? Trust in Christ and He will make you one with God and bring you into the family of the church. So we see right away that the the neglect of widows is wrong. This disunity is wrong because of the gospel. So this is a valid complaint we're seeing in verse 1. But the murmuring, and some of your translations may say instead of complaint, murmur, that kind of response by the Hellenists and the widows is also wrong. Because complaint is the word used of Israel's sinful response to Moses when he did not give them the sweet water or the choice meals that they were wanting in the wilderness. So what what we're being called to by Christ, the one who's reigning in heaven, is, is for the one who neglects to turn from their neglect of others. And also, he's calling the ones who are neglected to repent and to turn from their lack of forgiveness and to, and to sacrificially love those who wrong them. So, wrong number one is neglect of widows, but wrong number two is in verse two, and that's neglect of the word. It would be wrong for the leaders of the church to respond in a certain way, for them, the apostles, to personally be the ones to distribute the food to the widows, that would be a wrong response for them to give up preaching Christ in order to be the ones who personally are handing over the food to the widows. Now, there are some pastors who do not trust anyone but themselves to do anything significant in the church. And so there are some pastors who are doing everything in their church. That's wrong. I'm grateful that our church is not like some churches who think the pastor, the senior pastor, should do ev- tackle every single real problem in the church. The neglect of widows is a wrong, but two wrongs don't make a right. And... The, the leaders in the church should not neglect the ministry of the word. So we have in verses 3 and 4, two rights. Two rights. Right number one is, is the responsibility of the church that we see here in our passage. The responsibility of the church. Notice 
in verses 3 and 4. The apostles do not ignore the discord. They don't just say, hey, we're preachers, so y'all deal with this. They don't just say that. These ministers of the word understand from the word that God is calling them to a certain ministry and then he's calling the collective members of the church to a certain kind of service. God, verse 3, calls together, look, the full number of the disciples. So what we have in verse 3, maybe the first members meeting of the early church. And there, the apostles speak the will of God to the church about their job, their role, their part in the ministry. And that is to find qualified men in order to serve. And then the apostles are going to appoint those men or affirm who the church puts forward, whether they are in fact qualified in the ways that they're to be qualified, full of the Spirit and wisdom, in order to address this duty, this responsibility, to make sure that the widows are not neglected. And there is to be seven servants. Seven servants. Again, when they say it would not be right for us to neglect prayer and preaching to serve tables, it's not like they don't think it's important to serve tables. It's not like they don't think it's important that, that this, this problem be fixed. They instruct the church on how to get the perfect and complete response. Seven servants who will come and fix the discord in a way that is consistent with the Spirit. Men full of the Spirit. So right number one is the responsibility of the church, but right number two is in verse four, and it's the responsibility of the leaders of the church. So again, the, the 12 or the apostles, they don't delegate everything. They don't just say deal with it. They equip, and this is what Ephesians 4 said as well. Now the pastors are those who equip the church to serve, to do what God wants them to do in the church. So we have this phrase in our church that uh, the church, the collective members have authority over certain areas of the church. But wherever the church has authority, the elders have leadership. So we see the apostles leading out in this. Now, we don't have apostles because there are no apostles anymore. There are no apostles in the world. Because the apostles have the purpose of standardizing the truth and writing the word of God and setting up the foundation of the church. And once that is complete, we don't have apostles anymore. But we do have elders And so we do see from Acts 6 an application for elders. We are to lead the church by devoting ourselves to prayer and to the word that the apostles wrote. So, church, the title of this sermon is Play Your Part. This passage is recognizing that everyone has a different part. And you want the elders of our church to play our part. And you want more men who are qualified to be put forward to play that part as well, to devote ourselves to talking to God on your behalf, to praying. Notice it's not just the word ministry. It is a prayer ministry. 
Because even in the word ministry, we are completely dependent upon God to do good with what we are doing with the word. Or else no good is going to come. And so we must pray. Spirit, bless the preaching of your word. Spirit, open their ears that they might hear Christ and follow Christ and turn from sin. Word and prayer are the priorities for the elders. When the church is whole, the word increases. So point number two is harmony. Harmony. Out of this discord comes harmony. You see this in verse 5? The whole church hears what the leaders have set, have equipped them to do, what their responsibility is in comparison to the, the elders' responsibility or the, the apostles' responsibility. In verse 5, the whole church agrees to the apostles' solution because, this is what we're going to see, the whole church is committed to the goal. The whole church is united around a mission. And so they set before the apostles seven men who fit these qualifications. And in verse 6, look, the apostles play their part. They pray over the men, appointing them, calling them to this service. And, And so what I want us to see is when harmony comes out of that kind of discord, what is the result? And this is the vision that we want to unite around and we want to be thrilled that every one of us has a part to play in this goal. Verse 7, when things go this way, look at what happens. The Word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What we want to happen is what's implied that these seven men do their duty and make sure that our beloved sisters are not neglected. But also that a great many of the priests would become obedient. What we want is to see people saved. What is it that persuades these priests of Israel who know the word and the promises of God, who are at the top of the religion of Israel? What persuades them to be saved by Christ? Discord is common. Disunity is regular, normal. So chapter 5, verse 17, perhaps these priests gather together to try to deal with the apostles and their message in the church. And they are, chapter 5, verse 17, filled with jealousy. Discord, neglect, feeling slighted, that sort of thing is experienced by everyone, including 
the religion of Israel. And their religion didn't fix their jealousy or their neglect. Discord is common. Harmony is compelling. Harmony is compelling. It's persuasive. When the priests, in verse 7, it seems, see the result of verses 1 through 6, whenever they see in the church something they never saw in synagogue, that sinners have been really saved from the common ways that people respond to wrong in this world. Planting a new church, finding something else. Factions in the church. I'll just meet with this small group and not with that small group. Now they see a whole church agreeing together to not neglect and to prioritize the spread of the gospel. And then the priests become convinced that Christ is Jesus. We've been going against him in these last three chapters. It really is Jesus. And they are saved by him. Here is the insight that our passage gives to us that is very on the ground, practical for us whenever we feel disunity in the church. Discord is a problem because it threatens the mission of Christ. So look at the words of the text, verse 1. Verse 1 says, In the days when the disciples were increasing, in those days, discord happened. And then once discord is solved, verse 7, then the word of God continued to increase. And the disciples continued to multiply. The work of our Savior calls us to deal with threats whenever we're not united in a way that shows that church is not about me. Church and my life is not about you. Church is not for just you or for just me. It is for the name of Christ and what the saved say about the Savior by the way that we relate to one another. It's not about how I feel. It's not about how you feel. What's at stake is, will the message of a Savior continue to go out? And when we are divided, when we're neglected, when we don't deal with neglect, when we just keep on neglecting one another, or when we let neglect send us away, it looks like there's not a Savior for those who are selfish, for those who make their world about me. There's synagogues for that. Churches should not be that. And what I want us to see is that everyone gets to serve. Everyone has a part. Everyone serves in this goal of God to spread His glory. Look in verse 2 again. The word serve, tables, is the word deacon, tables. But then in verse 4, we have the same word. The ministry, ministry of the word is actually deacon, the word. 
See, there are two different kinds of service, but everyone is a servant following the same goal. It's the same word that we find on Jesus' lips in Mark 10, that the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give His life as a ransom for many. What the text is saying is that we have two different kinds of parts to play. We have two different kinds of service in the church. And yet, everyone serves for the one goal of increasing the Word and multiplying disciples. Pastoral ministry, the elders' ministry, increases the Word and multiplies disciples. When the elders of the church are freed up to focus on shepherding the church with God's wisdom and with strength that God gives through prayer, whenever we're speaking the truth to members one-on-one, when we're speaking the truth to, to other groups, or when we're spreading the name of Christ publicly when we gather, when the pastors are freed up from, freed up from important ministry, real ministry, but administrative, deacon-type ministry. Then the Word goes out. When the Word increases, notice this in verse 7, the relationship. When the Word increases, that is when disciples multiply. You want us to play our part because you want if you're a disciple of Christ, to learn more about what it means to follow the Lord. And if you're a disciple of Christ, you want more disciples of Christ. You want people who are not currently disciples to be made disciples, for us to multiply. Because the pastors are devoted to serving the truth that saves. That's what happens. If they were waiting on tables, we wouldn't have verse 7. But because they're not serving tables, but are serving the Word, we have verse 7. The Word goes out and multiplies disciples. But it is not just servant or pastoral ministry that increases the Word and multiplies disciples. You've got to see this. The concern is that the increase that we saw in verse 1 would continue to increase in verse 7. That the complaint and the threat of verse 1 would not stop the word from increasing in verse 7. And what we see is it's not just pastoral ministry. It's servant ministry that increases the word and multiplies disciples. Listen. Church. The whole gathers together, together. The church members gather together to maintain unity. This is a problem, church. We shouldn't be the direct ones to address this problem because then that would mean we have, we're, we're, we're going away from what God calls us to in prayer and ministry of the word. But this problem needs to be addressed. And then they address it. Maintaining unity spreads the gospel that makes peace. Members who are not elders serve to spread and support a gospel that makes peace between God and peace between people when we labor in prayer and in relationships to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that was bought by the blood of Christ. 
It's gospel ministry. Servant ministry or serving those who are neglected spreads a gospel of compassion. If we neglect people in the church and we don't do anything about it, what do we mean that Christ is compassionate with those who are suffering? Servant ministry ensures that that part of the message gets spread. Servant ministry may be very practical, so practical as passing out food to people. But it is no less spiritual. It is no less spiritual than pastoral ministry. That is why the apostles pray over the servants. They're saying, Spirit, they have a spiritual work to do. They need your power to do it. And so they pray that they might serve faithfully. So I think verse 3, wherever the apostles call together the church and say, set, set aside these seven men to serve in these ministries, or in this ministry, I think we can apply that to our ministries. And I would encourage you, if you're a member, and we don't want to see neglect that would threaten the spread of the gospel that we're preaching, then you should be thinking, how can we avoid neglect? So in this church, we have these new servant ministries. And we're thinking through a servant of hospitality. So that when someone's in need of hospitality, or when our, gathered, our church gathers, and there's a hospitality element, that, that that would not be neglected. And we're thinking through a servant for children's ministry. So important. We're not just babysitting. So we think about really teaching the gospel to these little hearts. We would like a servant who, who makes sure they do not neglect it. And we're thinking through a, a servant for ministries of, of mercy. Uh, like with the clothes closet. Or with choices. Pregnancy Re- Resource Center. Or with the growing ministry of, of, of foster care within our church. So that those who are involved are not neglected. And and a servant for missions so that we can really serve our missionaries and also serve the missions that, the mission like the BRMA and, and other things that we're doing locally. We don't want these things that are important to be neglected. And you should be thinking, who are full of the Spirit and of wisdom among us who we might encourage the elders to consider for those spots? That's part of your responsibility. And part of your responsibility is for you to pray that these servants or, or, or even our deacons, uh, in light of the fact that they need the Spirit to do their part, you would pray for them to be gospel-driven, even when they're doing very practical things, that the gospel might be at the heart of what they're doing. The Spirit might be the one empowering them to do this important ministry. I want to leave us with... Not just that call to encourage you out of verse 3 to be thinking about ways that we can guard the spread of the gospel by, by not neglecting important ministry. But I want to leave you mainly with a question. And that is, are you happy with your part? Are you happy with the part that you have been called by God? Play in this work that he's doing.
And to help you to be pleased, as verse 5 says, to be pleased with your part. I want to give you two reasons why you should be pleased with your part. And the first is, God assigns the parts. God's the one who decides the parts. It's the ministers of the word who heard from God who said, this is what we should do and this is what you should do. God assigns the parts. Be happy and pleased with your part because God is the one who calls you. If you're a member of a church, with the rest of the church, you, according to God, should be concerned that people not be neglected. You, according to God, should be equipped by the leaders to do your part. You, according to God, are are called to discern and understand with the whole church what we should do in certain circumstances like they do here. And you are called, if you're a member Your part is to protect the spread of the name of Christ. Are you pleased with that part? And God is the one who's calling elders to focus on prayer and the word. Are you pleased, brothers, with what God has assigned to us? He's called us to focus on prayer, to focus on the word. The second reason I want to give you for being pleased with the part that you're playing is this point, and this point is misunderstood by many Christians and many churches. We do not have to have the same roles so long as we're serving the same goal. We do not have to have the same roles so long as we're serving the same goal. This is something I'm trying to teach my little kids in soccer. Whenever in soccer a ball goes out and two of our players are going for the same ball, what happens is they fight over the ball and they lose the ball. Our two players become one player and not a good player. When they're fighting for the same role, we have roles to play. And and we're not going to reach the team's goal if we will not play our roles. Unity is not about everyone having the same job. It's about everyone being pleased to play their part in the great and glorious goal of increasing the word and multiplying disciples. Increasing and multiplying. Does that sound familiar? Increasing and multiplying. God created man in his image to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth that the world would have a witness of who God is. Here's another one. The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Listen to me. Do you understand what God has accomplished in Christ? He has done, through the blood of Christ, what He said He wanted on the first page of the Bible. What That, that goal that He then passed to Israel to increase and multiply a witness for Himself 
and to fill the world with it. He didn't accomplish without him. He did not accomplish with the people of Israel. He has done it in Christ. So, church, are you pleased to play a part in God's plan to glorify himself that he has finally really realized through the blood of his son? As a church, let's not let anything hinder the spread of the name of Christ. Being neglected is much easier to cope with when we keep that goal of God in front of us. When the church is whole, the word increases. Oh God, we pray that this would be true of us, that every threat to the spread of the name of Christ would come to nothing, that every neglect that is experienced in this church would not lead to us being separated from one another, but that the gospel would come and our faith in a peace offering in Christ would make us peacemakers, would make us those who work to repent of neglecting others and who would work to repent of the selfishness that often comes when we feel neglected. God, we thank you that you did not spare your own son. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us and gave yourself up for us that we might become the children of God. We pray that we would live like it. In Jesus' name, amen.